cousin of Reborn. Hey guys, my name is Eric and I'm the podcast producer assistant intern here at Reborn. Hello there, I am Ricky and I am the assistant podcast producer intern here at Reborn. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah and I'm a new screenwriter intern at Reborn. So kind of going into some of the stuff we're going to talk about, we're going to expand on a lot of stuff here. But um, this past week, the Trump administration had rolled back protections for transgender people by introducing changes to the Affordable Care Act. And that will eliminate protections from discrimination based on gender identity. This move was announced on the four-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. So I don't want to get too much into politics, you know, and that's never our goal with this podcast. We never want to talk too much about politics. But reading that, seeing that, it was pretty terrifying, especially since this is happening during Pride Month. Um, seeing that we're going backwards was scary. You know, I myself am in the LGBT community and knowing that one day I could marry the person I love, all of the strides that we took towards that and all the strides that we're taking now, seeing something like that, the next fear was, well, wonder if they reverse marriage, wonder if they start reversing all these other things. So it was definitely a little scary. And then all of a sudden we had this amazing thing happen where the U.S. Supreme Court ended up ruling that a landmark civil rights law protects gay, lesbian, and transgender people from being fired on the basis of their sexual identities. It actually was really interesting reading that because it was kind of like the news came up on Facebook. It was like two hours ago. This is a a big news thing going on and the Trump administration wants to roll back the protections on blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like a couple days later, it was like news alert. The Supreme court doesn't even want to hear the case. So it was kind of interesting to see how people were reacting and responding and also to see how our government and their different avenues were responding to that too. But it definitely was very scary. Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, it was terrifying, especially everything going on right now. For myself, at least, I feel like we get to this point in our community and our society where things are starting to change in one direction. And we kind of talked about this um, in last week's podcast, which was that love is love. And it's a very simple way of putting it, but it's also a very strong way of putting it. The fact of the matter is that if I'm in the LGBT community and I am only spreading love and I'm only genuinely loving somebody, how is that a crime? How is that such a horrible thing that there are actual groups of people who say that should not happen, that should not be happening, people should not be loving one another genuinely, because that's what they're saying when they're denying the ability for somebody to love another person, even if it's the same gender. So I have a lot of feelings about it. I have a lot of opinions, and that's what they are. Everybody has their own opinion, and as we go into our podcast today, I want to stress that. If you're listening to this and you don't 100% agree with everything that we're talking about, that's okay because we live in the greatest country in the world where we can have our own opinion and we have the right to say the things that we feel and believe and have our own opinions and that's what makes this country so great. So before we dive in, I just want to say that it's okay to have your own opinion. Um, We definitely have ours and we're going to learn more about ours and the LGBT community, especially because this is Pride Month. So our topic today is LGBT business owners. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll take a deep dive into the conversation by having a roundtable discussion. Stay tuned.
Okay guys, so again, our topic today is LGBT business owners. Now, a lot of people don't really think or recognize LGBT business owners. Um, I know when we were writing this podcast uh, outline, even some of our team had never really thought specifically about LGBT owned businesses. So I'm really interested to dive into this topic. And we're gonna start by really going over the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and some of the things that have been happening recently, especially like we talked earlier, the Affordable Cares Act was uh, you know, challenged in regards to uh, transgender rights. Uh, you know, the US Supreme Court then ruled that a landmark civil rights law protects gay, lesbian, and transgender people from being fired on the basic basis of their sexuality uh, and sexual identities. So we're gonna kind of dive into some interesting facts here and a couple questions to start off the conversation. So I find it interesting that um, this happened just as we were about to discuss this on the podcast. So uh, great timing by us, we can see the future. Um, so in a six to three decision on Monday, the court says a key provision of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that bars discrimination because of the terminology used of sex to encompass bias against gay, lesbian, transgender workers. So previously, I guess I should ask, um, could, could businesses discriminate against um, people who are gay, lesbian, transgender workers and fire them for that base? I saw an example on the video I watched of somebody posting something about going to like a pride and then the company seeing that and saying, oh, that's not what we view. So we're going to have to let you go for doing something like that. Is that something that previous... I get, that previously could have happened because it's crazy that it took this long for us to fix that. Cause I, I feel like for a while now, the country has been way more accepting of the rights of gay, lesbian, transgender people. So I'm kind of curious, we could just fire them before. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Um, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, for myself, I do a lot of hiring and we do a lot of interviewing and it's never naturally crossed my mind to say like, oh, that person's in the LGBT community. That's not a right fit for us. But when I put it into a different perspective, um, one of my fears, and we're going to get more, you know, in depth on this one, but one of my fears is, you know, we are working in the extension of a church. So what if the church found out that the nonprofit that they're supporting was actually run by somebody in the LGBT community, they could very well say to us, I'm really sorry, but this is not in alignment with our religious views and our principles, and we're going to have to ask you to leave. So when I look at it like that, we have this, like, I guess when it comes down to like religious organizations, they have the right to say, Hey, this doesn't, this isn't in alignment with what we believe. I'm really sorry, but you can't be a part of this, which is horrible. And that is discrimination. But when it comes to companies and businesses, it's really scary to think that corporations, big corporations. And that's what I, I immediately go to is like this big corporation who, like you mentioned, Ricky, somebody's at a pride and that corporation says, well, that's not the look. That's not what we want. We don't want somebody representing this. They can just let that person go. So I, I know it's something that went through my head. And I believe that, that before this, I guess they were allowed to 
discriminate to a certain point without, of course, they didn't call it discrimination. They called it being in alignment with their views or their company and what they believe in and the look they're going for. Yeah, um, to specifically answer your question, it was actually in 26 states um, prior to this uh, ruling, uh, you could fire someone on the basis of their sexual identity. Um, and the in the court case that actually was won over that led to this decision, um, it was a man in Georgia who was fired from uh, his job for participating in a um, gay baseball league, I believe. So yeah, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, when you say Georgia, immediately I go to ah, the South, the South. For those who don't know, my mom's from the South. I have a lot of family, actually, if not all of my family in the South. I am very familiar with the South. When I go there, I come back with a stronger accent every time. So I'm very familiar with the South, and it's very disappointing to see uh, the differences between being where we are in New Jersey and New York City and having the luxury to, you know, be in New York City and go to certain areas, the neighborhood, and be able to celebrate and have a great time and meet people and, you know, go to networking events and not have to worry, but you go to the South or you go to different areas, random areas in this country where you have people who can actually get in really big trouble or get fired or experience a tremendous amount of trauma just from being gay. It's just interesting that you also bring up um, the South specifically, um, because this is just something I've sort of learned as a history student, but um, one of my majors in college is history, but um, it was actually uh, a lot of times, especially during the civil rights movement, it was actually a lot easier to get major change done in the South than it was in the North because the sort of, um, you know, oppression of black people and the sort of violations of constitutional rights were a lot more evident in the South. So they um, were, a lot easier to argue for. Whereas in the North, it's a lot, um, it's often a little more subtle and it's a little more disguised. Um, so that still carries over for things like LGBT rights where, um, you know, something like this case in the South, to me, it makes sense because uh, from a historical perspective, usually um, it, it's, it's a little more obvious and it's a little more clear where the discrimination is happening and how it's a violation of, in this case, the Civil Rights Act. Um, whereas in the North, you know, they could, uh, LGBT people can still experience ostracization, they can still experience sort of uh, discrimination in terms of microaggressions and several things like that. Um, but those things are a lot harder to, you know, argue for and get passed in the Supreme Court. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting sense of you see change, you see sort of change happening where you so, sort of see the worst of discrimination. Um, but you often don't see as much change in places where discrimination is still happening, but it's where it's a little less um, overt and obvious. A little uh, circling back to the, to the decision that was just passed to, um, you know, the bars discrimination. It's crazy that um, nine years, well, less, a little bit less than nine years ago, don't ask, don't, tell was repealed and it took nine almost nine years for them to do this to businesses it was crazy it's just it's fascinating to me the way our government works sometimes and how slow it can be because if don't ask don't tell was repealed you would think you know that businesses would sort sort of follow but i guess military and business are a lot different so 
it uh it doesn't it doesn't work the way that I think it does. Yeah, and I actually do also want to bring us back to you know the some of the things that are recently going on that you were talking about um, earlier, Ricky and and Sarah. Um, you know, one of the key points to the things that we're talking about is that right now the ruling, uh, specifically the ruling that was done on Monday, specifically says that you cannot be fired on the basis of sex and does not outline any enforceable measures to prevent day-to-day workplace discrimination. Um, you know, I do want to note, though, we look at that and we're happy that that's there. It's one of those things where it's like, that's great. Um, at the same time, that doesn't mean that people won't make you feel uncomfortable. If you have a boss who really disagrees with what they would call your quote-unquote lifestyle, uh, your sexuality, that person can make you feel really, really uncomfortable. There's loopholes for them to still fire you and make you feel so horrible that you quit without them actually coming out and discriminating against you. So I would really encourage if you're in a a workplace that does not accept you for who you are, that's not the right workplace for you. There are so many different bosses out there in the world, so many different managers that you can work under. And if you have a problem with a manager or you have a problem with somebody of authority who's making you feel bad or uncomfortable for who you are and who you love, then you should definitely report that. You should report it to HR. And if you feel like HR is not going to listen, still report it. And I would start searching for a new job. That's just some of my advice. So kind of talking and continuing to talk about LGBT business, some interesting statistics here. Um, Of the nearly 28 million small businesses in the U.S., only 909 were actually certified LGBT business enterprises as of October 2016. Now, according to the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce report, um, LGBTBEs, which are LGBT uh, businesses that are certified, uh, they must be at least 51% owned, managed, or operated by an LGBT person that exercises independence uh, from a non-LGBT-owned business. So I kind of want to expand on this a little bit. I had an interesting conversation this past week And uh, we're going to actually share uh, an interview with the LGBT Chamber of Commerce for the state of New Jersey, which is really exciting later on in this podcast. But a conversation I was having with them was really about, you know, LGBT owned businesses. People don't really think to certify themselves if they are in LGBT owned businesses. And a lot of people don't look at businesses and wonder if they're LGBT owned. You know, it's one of those things where it's, a very interesting topic to talk about because we have a lot of businesses out there that are owned by allies of the community or straight people in general. And we also have businesses that are LGBT owned. And I will say that as somebody who has definitely considered um, taking the organization to be a certified LGBT owned organization, it's a very scary thing for me personally Um, to have to come out to the world when we really want to focus on our mission is something where like, that's where it becomes tricky for me because do I feel personally like I need to come out? No, not at all. I do not feel that way. I do not feel it's necessary for me to say, Hey, this organization was founded by somebody in the LGBT community. I don't feel that way. And I don't think it's necessary. So if anybody is listening right now and they feel pressure to do that, that pressure should not exist. You do not need to feel the pressure of actually 
publicly identifying yourself as an LGBT community, just like somebody who owns another business doesn't need to come out and say, well, we're straight and we own this. So I don't want anybody to feel extra pressure from that. I know that for myself in what we do, we're in mental health. And when I first began actually talking about um, my connection with the LGBT community, especially when we were attending prides as an organization, when we had floats in, or in uh, different pride events and parades, and we were really promoting reborn to the LGBT community, because first off, as kind of like a little segue, the LGBT community is seven times more likely to have thoughts of suicide than somebody who is straight or identifies as straight. So for us, that was a big focus, trying to really reach that particular group because they're suffering seven times more than the average straight person. So doing that, a lot of people look and say, well, how can you even have a connection with this community? How are you even going to reach this community? And so that was an advantage to be able to say, well, I'm actually in that community. I can relate with a lot of the things that you're going through and we want to help. But then it becomes very focused on, oh, that founder of the organizations in that community. And then there's plus and minuses. And that's where it gets tricky because getting certified on the state level and then you can get certified on the federal level, level as an LGBT certified business. That actually opens your business or your organization up to large company and corporate sponsorships and uh, brings you closer towards Fortune 500 companies and their corporate giving, which is very interesting. I never knew that actually until last week. So very interesting stuff. But at the same time, for us as an organization, what's scary is if we come out and do that, then now all of the churches who we love so much, who donate to us, they have the right to say, I'm so sorry, we don't support you. And our, our church preaches something else and supports something else and we don't support you. So we're not going to support this organization. That's why it's so sad when that happens, because I am not the organization. Everyone who makes up the organization is the organization, at least to me, you know? And so when it comes down to it, I totally believe this statistic that only 909 businesses were actually certified when there's 28 uh, registered small businesses in the U.S. We still see businesses that do register as LGBT. They are subject to more discrimination and loss of business. I actually met somebody recently who was telling me on the topic um, that they own their own business and they wanted to hold a networking event for the LGBT community, but they were terrified to actually come out and say it was for the LGBT community because of the town that they were in. And this is in New Jersey. They were terrified because of the town that they were in that people would actually boycott their business. So that's happening in New Jersey, like, and, and New Jersey and New York are, seem to be very open about the topic, you know? So it's, it's interesting to see that. It's interesting to see that there's different avenues. I think something that is a whole with the LGBT community is we just, we want community. That's what we want. We want to be able to have networking events and be ourselves. We want to be able to network with one another and see how we can help each other and have normal networking events, but also have those LGBT networking events. That's like, wow, how can we align ourselves in our missions together to really help this community? Um, that's very specific. Um, a lot of people, I've actually heard people say before, well, the LGBT community is just trying to separate themselves from the straight community. 
in that. I do not believe that that's the case. I think that we want community and this particular community has been forced to act a certain way and be a certain way and pretend to be somebody that they're not and pretend to love people that they don't love. And they've had to do that for so long that to have something that's just a full community of allies and the LGBT community, it's such a breath of fresh air. I know that for myself when pride happens, it is so wonderful because you're just around people who are themselves, who are literally 100% doing themselves. Like they are just being who they are with no fear of judgment. And that is the most incredible part of pride. Because it's not about saying, oh, I'm gay, you know, let me rub it in your face. It's just about having a community meeting or gathering where you're like, hey, this is a non-judgment zone. This is a zone where you can be who you are, you can love who you love, and we're not going to judge you for it. To have that, it's like a paradise. To have a place where you can just be who you are. There are people out there, and maybe some people who are listening who are not in the gay community, but are straight and dealing with their own things, and maybe they're interested in something else. Maybe your parents want you to be a doctor, and you don't want to be a doctor. You actually want to be a vet, and you have an opportunity to go hang out with a bunch of vets. When you go be, hang out with these vets, all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I love this. I love talking about the subject. I love learning about the subject. I love being able to just freely say, yeah, this is what I want to be. That's really what pride, in my opinion, that's one of the greatest aspects of pride is just being in one place, knowing that nobody's getting judged and loving one another for that. It's really so much love is there. That's why growing up, I, and we talked about this last episode, I had a lot of religious conflictions myself because I came from that background. And that was difficult for me because at the end of the day, it was like, wait, how is spreading love a bad thing? I do not see anything at all whatsoever wrong with not judging people and just loving one another. When it comes to small businesses, on the Small Business Administration's website, there's actually several links and resources to help support LGBT-owned small businesses. Um, included on the website are links to six district offices that have specifically uh, and strategically aligned with the LGBT business community. They include Houston, Seattle, Puerto Rico, Nashville, Los Angeles, and Wisconsin. Um, there's also a National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And uh, we also have a Chamber of Commerce um, for a lot of different states. You know, you're going to hear from uh, the Chamber of Commerce that represents New Jersey in a little bit. So, um, you know, stay tuned. We're going to talk more about how you can continue to help one another in the LGBT community, how you can help as an ally, how you can help your, your local LGBT businesses as well. I do want to kind of end on this other statistic that I thought was just so interesting. And you have to keep in mind, there's always this underreporting issue with a lot of things that, that we talk about. There's always underreporting. So I'm going to go as far as to say that even though that there are over 900 certified uh, LGBT businesses, there are also so many businesses that are LGBT owned that are not certified. So just keep that in mind when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Over 900 certified LGBT BEs, LGBT uh, certified businesses, have created over 33,000 jobs in the United States. Now keep in mind, again, there's so many businesses that are not nationally certified or state certified 
but are still LGBT owned. Look at our team. We have 37 interns and volunteers. LGBT BEs have an average revenue of $2,475,642, with at least one LGBT BE reporting $180 million in annual gross. Our businesses, companies, organizations that are LGBT owned, we're providing jobs, internships, volunteerism, we're teaching advocacy, we're teaching people skills, we're giving them jobs, we're not hurting anybody. We are doing the opposite. So if you do not know about your uh, LGBT business certif certified businesses in your area, I definitely recommend looking it up and seeing if there are any. You know, with the fact that there's 28 million, over 28 million businesses in the country and only 909 are actually certified, I'm sure that it will be hard to find too many around you, but they are out there. Alrighty, guys, so stay tuned. In our next segment, we're actually going to be talking to the Chamber of Commerce for the state of New Jersey. dive in the first two questions are pretty explanatory uh, I'm just gonna ask you both uh, more about who you are um, and have you guys kind of introduce yourself a little bit so um, Joe why don't we start with you and then we'll head over to Lori if that's okay so Joe can you tell me a little bit about who you are and who you are to the chamber well I am a board member and I'm the current president of the Chamber of Commerce and I've been with the chamber for I think I'm in my fifth year now and, uh, but I've been doing networking and working with LGBT businesses for about 15 years between New York and New Jersey. Wow. So, Joe, do you mind me asking, what kind of inspired you to, um, I know you mentioned New York, um, so I assume that either there was a move somewhere between there, um, working in New York City, New Jersey, or maybe still continuing with both. Is there something in particular that inspired you to start working with the Chamber? Um, well, yes, it's a little bit of a long story. I, um, and it began with me coming out of the closet. I came out very late in life. I was 42. And my entire career, my professional career has been in the telecommunications business. And that's for been about 30 years now, 35 years. And I always worked in New York City. And when I decided it was time to come out of the closet, I wanted to be completely out of the closet, even in business. And so I really, having been in the closet so long, I really didn't have a, an LGBT social circle. And so I just literally Googled, and given my age at the time, 42, I wasn't really going to clubs anymore. I was, that was not going to happen. So I literally Googled uh, gay professionals in New York City, because I worked in New York, even though I've always lived in New Jersey. And what came up was an organization called Out Professionals. And they are the largest and oldest LGBT business networking organization in the country. And they were in New York. And the first event that they had going on was that night, uh, and it was uh, Representative Barney Frank from Massachusetts. And I love politics, and I thought, well, I'm going to go and see this and listen to this conversation. And the first night, I thought this was my crowd. It was a suit and tie crowd. It was all business people who just happened to be in the LGBT community as well. And I ended up volunteering. I ended up being voted onto the board there and was with them for 10 years. And one evening I was at an event and I met a gentleman by the name of Medina. And Medina was a founder and a president of the New Jersey LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And we just got to 
speaking. It was by happenstance. And he said, oh, well, we do events in New Jersey. And I'm like, you're kidding. I live in New Jersey. And he said, yeah. And I went to one of his events. It was in Jersey City. And uh, just hit it off. I met another founding board member, uh, Kimberly Williams. And they said, you know, do you ever do events in New Jersey, which is something I always wanted to do because I lived here. I wanted to do it for our professionals. And I did one or two. And uh, I said, well, I would love to do stuff in New Jersey. And they said, well, can you do it for us? Would that be a problem? I said, no, it wouldn't be a problem at all. And I started doing events and I met Lori, uh, who is at that point a board member. She had then become uh, president as well and for a tenure. And um, I've just been doing New Jersey LGBT business networking events since then. Wow, that is an amazing story. Um, so actually going over to Lori, um, Lori, I would love to know more about who you are and who you are to the chamber. I'm Lori Selliger, and I am a former business owner. I'm no longer in business, but um, my wife and I had started a business called Keylingo Translations of Princeton back in 2011. And during the course of the formation of the, the business and getting it started, uh, we became a dual certified business. That is, we, we became a woman-owned, um, it's known as WeBank uh, certified business, but we also um, decided to become NGLCC certified. And interestingly enough, because the New Jersey Chamber had not been established yet, our certification in this was actually, actually through NGLCC New York. Um, in any case, uh, through that certification, we did, we were, uh, both of us were doing network, the various networking um, that needed to, that you need to do in order to get the business, of course. And I had the opportunity to go to uh, the NGLCC conference down in Dallas. And um, that was there that I, that I met Kimberly Williams for the first time. And she asked me if I would be interested in a, in a board position. And that's when I came on as the, the um, corresponding secretary onto the board. And so I always tell people that I'm the first wave of officers after the founding um, board members. So, um, and so I've been with the board, uh, on the board since I think 2014. And um, I'm now, as Joe said, uh, had a tenure as president and then uh, I'm now immediate past president of the chamber. Wow, so Lori, it sounds like you kind of really witnessed a lot of growth between being that first quote unquote wave, uh, you know, after the founders and from 2014 to now, have you, um, what has it been like to be able to kind of witness the growth and going from board member to president and, and still, you know, being connected with the chamber and being a part of that? What's that been like for you? It's been, um, tremendous. It's, it's been very satisfying and, um, and very proud of everything that everybody who's been involved has has uh, helped with. Uh, we've met some incredible talent along the way, and that has helped. And you, you don't do that without a team. You know, you don't do that without uh, teamwork and effort. And um, it's been a one of the honors, biggest honors in my professional life to have been involved in this chamber. So. Uh, I don't know, Joe or Lori, I don't know who would like to answer this one, but can you explain to people who might not know what exactly the Chamber of Commerce 
is. Would, would you mind explaining that uh, to the community? What is the LGBT Chamber? The New Jersey LGBT Chamber of Commerce is a, um, the New Jersey's networking event for LGBT businesses and allies. And uh, we provide the mechanism to interact with each other and uh, to support each other's businesses and causes. And um, it's important to have Chamber of Commerce because um, we have to be visible. Um, we have to make sure we're, we're seen and, and people see that we are here. So, um, and by being certified, that also, um, by becoming certified as we had, we had done, um, it's really important to show that, uh, to be a part of uh, the diversity programs for uh, Fortune 500 companies and even medium-sized companies. You know, Small-sized companies may or may not necessarily support diversity programs. They may not have the resources to do that. But by the time a company has grown to be a mid-sized company, they need to be starting to think about desert diversity and inclusion programs. And um, by being able to reach out to those people um, and network with them, we can make them aware that, that of, of the fact that these programs exist. So, and then they, that these companies can also include diverse suppliers in their supply chain and start doing it earlier rather than trying to play catch up. No, I, I think uh, Lori was very succinct in describing the purpose of the chamber. What I tell people when uh, it's very interesting, uh, it's important to have a chamber, an LGBT chamber for this reason. Uh, we, when we go, Lori and I, especially of all of our board members, we do a lot of tabling events. We'll go to job fairs, we'll go to any, uh, any um, uh, full day fairs that Fortune 500 companies throw, diversity fairs, you name it, we get, Lori and I are there with our table on our tablecloth. And people will come up to the table and quite sincerely and quite innocently look at our banner and say the New Jersey LGBT Chamber of Commerce, what is it you do? And meanwhile, there will be the so-and-so chamber on the left side of us, the so-and-so chamber on the right side of us, and nobody asks them what they do as a chamber of commerce. So what I tell people is take the LGBT out of it, we're a chamber of commerce. We do what every other chamber of commerce does. And as Lori's mentioned, it's about visibility. You know, uh, and it's about identification. When you join Chamber of Commerce, most Chambers of Commerce, in fact, as far as I can tell, I think with the exception of a few, most are geographically based. So there is the, you know, it could be your town's Chamber of Commerce. Every little town in New Jersey, you know, we have nothing but little towns around here. Every little town has a Chamber of Commerce. Then you have county level Chambers of Commerce, and then you have regional Chambers of Commerce, and then you have state level. There's the New Jersey Chamber of Commerce, which is statewide. There's no geographic area for the LGBT community. So we have to identify in some way because identification is important. Just like you have the statewide Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and the African, New Jersey African American Chamber of Commerce, it's the identification and with another person that we might be in different 
businesses, but we are connected in some way, whether it's through our uh, physical location, whether it's through our industry, that's why you have industry groups, um, whether it's through our ethnicity or even our sexuality. So it's important to say, okay, I'm walking into a room where in some way everyone is like me, for in some descriptive way, whether they will live in this town or this county or somewhere, I have identification on a base level with everyone in the room, which makes the person entering the room a little more relaxed because now I am not a stranger to everybody in every sense of the word stranger. And so once you have identification, it's more easy to relate to people and, and ask them what they do and understand who they are and where they're coming from because you have at least one thing in common. And that's really what's important. And that's what gets the dialogue going between business people. There's some kind of uh, connection between people that really starts the conversation off. That's why so many uh, organizations, it's very big is people will tell you so many deals are made on the golf course. You know, we have nothing in common with each other. We don't really know each other, but we both like to golf. So you see a lot of business people do golfing and they do their business deals on the golf course. And that's the reason why we have, if nothing else, at least we can talk about golfing. You know what I mean? So it's that identification point. And for us in the community, it's great. And as Lori said, again, visibility is key. And people have to know that there is an LGBT business community. Uh, we spoke about this the first time uh, you and I got to speak. You, if I came to you and said, oh, I want to talk to you about LGBT issues, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, LGBT rights, uh, the Supreme Court decisions that just came down, you can't be terminated from your employment. But no one thinks, or, or HIV and AIDS, homeless youth, whatever, but no one thinks, oh, there's business issues. And sure, there's a big business issue right now for LGBT businesses, and that's called coronavirus. And what's going to happen to our businesses in terms of when this is finally over? Will they bounce back? You know, we have members who are caterers and who own restaurants. We don't know if they're going to come back. They don't know, you know, so there are LGBT business issues. And that's what we help put a spotlight on and treat us like, I don't say treat us, everyone treats us fine, but to, you know, understand that we're part of the business community and the LGBT is a side thing that's just for us kind of. I think that's so important. And, you know, everything that you just said is so, so, so important. And for anybody who does listen to this podcast and isn't, you know, 100% sure as to why there has to be a separate chamber or why there has, to, why this is such a big issue, it is because there's so many businesses out there that are LGBT owned that are also discriminated for being LGBT owned and being able to step up and have a space to have a community to join, to have the opportunity to get certified and say, I am proud. This is my business. So having a place where businesses who are LGBT owned can say, wow, I can be myself. I can be the person I am. I can love the person I, I love in front of these people. Like you said, Joe, having a space where at least there's one thing in common, that big thing that's in common, having that to relate on is such a big foundation to so many opportunities. Uh, like you said, business deals. So I personally believe the chamber is so, so important. And knowing that the chamber exists for those who don't know um, is also really important. So let me ask you guys, for somebody who um, might be a little bit hesitant, maybe nervous still, maybe because of the community they currently live in or just because of their background or their story, um, for somebody who might still be hesitant but might be considering, what exactly are 
for lack of better words, I guess the perks or the benefits of being an LGBT certified business? Well, the benefits uh, to being an LGBT certified business are the fact that you can take advantage of all of the proactive uh, measures that Fortune 500 companies and, and and state and federal agencies offer in terms of, in speaking to which that, they have in place programs where they know it's important to support small business owners across the board because that is the backbone of the economy is the small business user, is, is a small business owner. Um, it is not big business, it's small business. Every, every report will tell you that. So they know they have to support the small business community and then also the minority communities. You know. I, I won't say that there's abject uh, or purposeful discrimination, but just to make sure that everyone advances who's a member of any kind of uh, minority uh, group in any sense, they have put in place, you know, measures and uh, policies and programs to help people take advantage of getting that foot in the door if you have a small business. And they do it in different ways. Uh, like I say, Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 1000 companies and also even non-Fortune 1,000 companies. A lot of organizations have made commitments to minority-owned and small businesses in general, which is great. If you can go in as a certification under a particular umbrella of a group, go for it. It's just another advantage or another help to get in the door somewhere. We might not have been able to do that before. You know, I think Lori touched on this. If you are a member of more than one uh, minority, identified minority group, get certified in all of them. You know, you could be a, a woman-owned business. You could be um, a, a, an LGBT-owned business. If you're a person of another ethnicity or, or race, you can get certified under anything, really. Uh, uh, African-American, Hispanic-American, uh, Asian-American. Get as many certifications as you possibly can. It's just to your advantage. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people, if you, can, if you qualify, go for it. There's nothing, nothing worse could happen to you. You can only do better by it. So go for it. Wow. That's actually very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this to you both personally, and I'm just going to share it very uh, briefly um, today with anybody who might be listening. But, um, you know, one of my biggest fears was kind of coming out all over again in my community. Um, and especially with the supporters that we have with our organization, um, there's this, there's this kind of fine line and there's a couple things that always go through my head, which is, well, if I, and obviously I'm on this podcast talking about this, so you both can assume that I've already kind of re come out to the community, but there's still more to do. And there's still more people who don't understand that. And there's still more people who, you know, we haven't reached who don't know that. And it's one of those things where on one end, I think to myself as an LGBT business owner, not just with the nonprofit, but my girlfriend and I actually started a company as well that's growing. And it's something that we get nervous going to meet with clients. We get nervous going to talk to people. I met with somebody yesterday, her and I were going to meet with a, a client and I introduced her as my partner and she is my business partner. She's my life partner as well. And uh, the person a hundred percent took it as my business partner until she later, uh, we were joking around and she said, Oh babe. And the person was kind of like caught off guard. Like, why did she just call her business partner, babe? <laughs> so there's this part of me 
that it kind of feels a little naive. And I'm not saying this to make anybody else feel that way if you're feeling this way. But just for myself, being a little harder on myself, I feel nervous because I don't want to limit our opportunity. But at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity with being certified. But when you are certified, it's something that you want to show off. It's something you want to tell people, something we want to put on your business, you, you, you know, your website, your Facebook. And it's one of those things where on one side, when I think about the company, so not so much the nonprofit right now, but when I think about the company, I think if we were to get certified or we were to go through that process or we were to just come out and say, you know, we're an LGBT owned business. Um, to do that, we might attract more people who say, oh, they're an LGBT owned business. I'm in the LGBT community. I want a product of theirs, especially because they're brave enough to come out or especially because, you know, they are a couple and that's awesome. You know, uh, there's that side of things. And then there's the other side, which are people who are like, I don't want a product from them because of that. And so it is scary for me personally. And with the organization, it's scary on that end because we do have certain churches who support us. But over in that regard, the fear is, well, if we really come out and say, you know, we're really focused on the LGBT community, the co you know, co-founder herself is in the LGBT community. The moment that that happens, we open ourselves to really helping and inspiring other people, especially young people, especially young people who are in the closet who are struggling with that, we can inspire them. But on the other end, we may lose the local funding opportunities that we have. So it's kind of like this weird territory, at least you know, in my circumstance, I'm sure that there are other people out there who are dealing with similar or different ones that still you know, make them a little afraid. But I think that at least for me today, one of my biggest goals is to really share what you both are doing to inspire others to see that there is this community for you. If you're an LGBT owned business and you're considering getting certified or just want to be a part of a community that welcomes you, that accepts you, and that is also you, you know, this is a place to do that. And this is an opportunity for you. So my goal today is to really kind of decrease that fear um, amongst other people, including myself. I think Ma Maggie, that you raise a very good point because it is a balancing act. It very much is a balancing act. And you know, what I found at least um, is that if, if, I, if I was approaching a, um, a new potential prospect, I, I, the way I handle it is I, I never said anything. It, um, <clears throat> it was only, uh, it was only if, I, if and when I got to know the prospect as a client better, that I would actually start interjecting things about my personal life with that person. So it's really about forming that relationship in the beginning, not only on a business level, but on a personal level. And then, um, and then making sure that they're comfortable with you as a person um, and as a, a, uh, uh, you know, a provider of services uh, before you start getting um yeah you know, before you start getting more intimate about what it is you are as a business um we've also had uh, we've had uh, uh potential members tell us uh, that they love the idea that there's a chamber 
but they're not out professionally. So, and, and that too is a choice. You know, they, they want to be, they just want to become social members of our network, of our chamber. They don't want to necessarily do business with anybody within the chamber. Um, but at the same time, they uh, are not comfortable trying to create a, a clientele or a, a um, book of business um, based on the fact that they're, they themselves are, are gay. So it, unfortunately, in this day and age, I think that there's still that fear out there. And there needs to be some balancing that has to be done that it's on a very personal level, those decisions need to be made. Yeah. So. Well, I think what it really comes down to is, and speaking again, as a person who didn't come out of the closet until he was 42, um, what this is all about is being out of the closet. That's what this comes down to. You know, if you, if you offer a service, a business, whatever that is, um, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or anything else, you know, it doesn't matter. You're a human being, but we, the, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist, but it does go back to that first stigma of, you know, when you realize you're different from other people or the majority of people, and you think, is there something wrong with this? Because that's how we're raised. You know, if, if you're, if you were raised in my generation, not something wrong where you're mentally ill, but so-and-so is different. You know, the, that aunt who, or uncle who never got married for some reason, you know, but is at every Christmas party, every, you know, holiday birthday party, but they always come alone. Um, you know, and everyone likes them, but they're always alone and they're so great, but they never found the one. Right. Um, but it's the same way with business. And it is, and it's really, <clears throat> I think most people across the board, whatever you are, gay or straight, don't really care. It doesn't matter. But we all still feel that coming out or, or your sexuality is such a personal thing that everyone tiptoes across it. Uh, and by that, I mean, to Lori's point, we have people who join our chamber who are LGBT business owners. And when you join our chamber, you go onto the website and there's a form to fill out. One of the forms asks if you are a, if you're gay, straight, whatever you are, because we do have, by the way, straight people who are members of dues paying members of our chamber. And so they realize it because it's something we do need to talk about in maybe another conversation, but the LGBT consumer market, something very important to talk about. And the, the smart straight people get it in two seconds. That there is, you know, a, an LGBT consumer market. And quite frankly, I can throw the statistics out at you. We have a lot more money than the straight household, the gay household. So people who know this, straight people, they love coming to our events and some of them are dues paying members. But across the board, everyone has a problem with the intimacy of sexuality. And so we, when you go to our site and you are an LGBT identified person and you do own a business, we have some questions we ask. One is, are you LGBT identified? The second one is, are you a business owner? And people check yes. The next question right after it is, would you be interested in certification? And people check no. And I find it fascinating. At first I did, now I understand it. Because when I'd meet some people, I'd ask. And the reason is, is they do not want, they feel by merely saying, yes, I'm an LGBT be owned business or by getting certified, they are stamped into a certain portion of the business community and that's it. And so they may lose business or sales because they're so identified with a niche product or a niche 
uh, marketplace, which is the LGBT marketplace. And for most people, it's not the case. You know, most people, anybody will take a customer, a new client, you know what I mean? Or do business with. But, and I say that it's across the board because we, we get people, uh, it, it happens not every day, every month, but a couple of times a year, we'll get a phone call from someone who says, oh, I see you're having a networking event. Um, I was at your website and you're having a network event in my town at such and such a place. And I want to come to the event if that's okay. And we say, fantastic. And they'll say, but I just want to make sure, I'm calling you because I want to make sure that it's okay that I attend. And I'll say, why, sure, it's okay. Why would it, why would you, why are you questioning it? And they'll say, well, I am straight. Is it okay if I come to the event? You know, to feel from a straight person's perspective that they're not allowed to come to one of our events because it's LGBT identified. So it's that same cautiousness around sexuality that gives people pause. And of course, we, I always say, well, if you do, we're going to have to beat you up. So you better not come to the, the restaurant. You know, of course you can come to the event, you know, and, and network with us. You know, business is business. But when you bring the intimacy of sexuality into the equation, people get nervous across the board. And they literally, to the point where a straight person will ask, is it okay if I come? I'd really like to go, but is it all right? You know, that's an interesting phenomenon for an adult an adult, mind you, adult middle-aged business people asking permission to come to one of your events because they think they might be shunned because they're straight. Isn't that ironic? You know, I, I think that what you guys are doing is so important. And I think it's really amazing. You know, we've only had so many conversations, but I can already tell how incredible both of you are as leaders and how incredible both of you are in the work that you do. I do uh, just want to bring up two last points um, before we kind of start wrapping things up. So uh, we were doing some research and we found a couple statistics that I thought were interesting because I really personally do believe that this is severely, severely um, uh, underreported. There was a statistic, I didn't write it down, I should have, uh, that also talked about uh, volunteer positions. Uh, and when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, well, this has to be underreported because even I'm the co-founder and president of a nonprofit that offers right now, we have 36, you know, people on our team and we've offered several volunteer positions. Um, so there has to be so many more out there, but one of the statistics talks about the amount of jobs that have been provided by LGBT certified businesses. And it says that over 900 that first off, there's uh, apparently 909 uh, LGBT certified businesses right now in the country compared to the 28 million small businesses in the U.S. So that tells me immediately that there are definitely more LGBT owned businesses that just aren't certified and they're not going through that certification process for a reason. Uh, again, I'm hoping today this conversation will inspire anybody out there who's thinking about it or hesitant to really go for it. Um, like you said, Joe, it can't hurt you. It can only help you. Um, and you know, that really is the truth. And Lori, as you said, you know, as a professional, you don't have to tell people right off the bat, you know, this is an LGBT owned business. You can build that relationship. You can really get to know that person. And in some ways, uh, for a serious lack of better words, being an LGBT certified business might help you sell to that community more because you can relate to that community. But it also might be something that you don't want to come out right away uh, with a particular client, and that's okay. Uh, you know, it depends on how you operate your business. But with Maybe that... If I, could, if I can interrupt, just oh, so yes. you know, I saw in your notes 
for your podcast that the um, the, the stat that you had was to, from 2016. And I'm pretty sure that as of 2019, there are now up to 1,200 um, certified businesses nationwide. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, yes. And, and we have on our on virtual networking events um, a gentleman who is on the certification committee, and he said that they, with this break in the business, they have been incredibly busy certifying mm -hmm even more businesses. Oh, that's so great. even though, uh, yeah, so even though businesses stop, the business of certifying LGBT businesses as, as business entities with the NGLCC has not stopped. If anything, they've gotten busier. So uh, if anybody's listening to this podcast and they're considering it, they, they should go ahead and do so. Oh, I, I it's still happening. Oh, sorry. You know, you know, the problem is, quite frankly, uh, it's very interesting that you bring up that statistic, Lori, uh, and mention the certifications that we're doing in our chamber right now. And what I find, what I think the problem is, is that uh, people are busy, particularly if you're a small business owner. There's no nine to five, really. It's 24 by seven. Anyone who owns a small business or is in sales for yourself, you know this. And... What I think people don't realize, they think, they think being certified is a process, and uh, an extended process. And people are busy, and they find a hard time thinking, well, when do I make time to go get certified? You know, do I, some people who don't understand the process might think they have to take a class or something, or courses, and then get tested and be certified. You know, that's what a lot of certifications are in other areas. For example, during this whole uh, pandemic and this uh, quarantine that we're under over the past uh, two and a half months now, whatever it is, um, I have gotten three certifications in my industry, which is telecommunications. They were all online courses and you get a certificate when you're done. So I think a lot of people are taking this time. I know I've been doing a whole lot of webinars on various things. We've set up a, a webinar series on business development and personal skill set development that we do every other Tuesdays and people do jump on it. I think because we're now stuck in our homes and can't do as much of our business as we want to, people now find the time, well, let me check this out. Let me, I never got to do that. I never got to do that. Right now we have 32 uh, certified LGBT uh, people who belong to our chamber, which is which is quite a big number compared to the number of people we have in the chamber. It's a good percentage. Um, but I think it's also a timing thing. That's what I'm saying. And just, and I use myself as an example. I've gotten three certifications just because I've had the time to do it. And I think that's part of the part of what the equation comes into the equation here for us. Uh, why you see that jump. We've, we've had four people already this year being, being certified Two after we were in quarantine and this week, I believe Friday, another person's about to do, go to the final stages, which is an in-person interview, which will be done virtually, but an in-person interview to be uh, certified. So probably by this week or the end of the month, we'll have five people certified this year. That's almost one a month, which is amazing. Wow, that's amazing. That is so wonderful to hear. Um, you know, I really hope uh, Lori called us out. We didn't have the most updated statistic. <laughs> Man, and we really pride ourselves on that. We try to always have the most up, updated statistics. But uh, given that uh, originally uh, on this podcast, we talked about having uh, 909 businesses registered. Uh, looks like there's a little bit uh, more or around 1,200. You know, having the fact that there are 28 million small businesses in this country alone. Come on, guys. You know, it, it's time. It's time to get certified. It's time to move forward with it. Um, you know, it's 
it is 2020. And I think even though that the year has already been off to a very rocky start uh, <laughs> for everyone in this country, um, you know, I think we can end 2020 on a good note and uh, at least make some goals for next year, including getting certified or, you know, joining the Chamber of Commerce or just being a part of other communities in your towns or in your cities. Um, you know, what we're talking about today is so important and there's just so much to it um, that I would love to talk about. I'm going to end on one thing that's, you know, uh, I, I don't want to get too politically charged with it, um, but it is just something that I do want to bring up because we talked about it in our podcast and it was something that was really kind of eye-opening to a lot of people in our group uh, and in, in our community uh, at Reborn, which was, uh, now this was uh, about a week or two ago uh, in a six to three decision. The court uh, had said a key provision of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, that bars discrimination because the terminology used of sex also encompasses bias against gay, lesbian, transgender workers. And the key point from that really was that the ruling specifically says you can't be fired on the basis of sex and does not outline any enforceable measures to prevent day-to-day -day, uh, work, work, workplace discrimination, excuse me. When that happened, a conversation that we were having on our team, especially uh, you know on our podcast, uh, was wow, people could still get fired for you know uh, being in the LGBT community, and it was something that uh, our team was really shocked about because we, in an essence, are a little bit more. Uh, I'll I'll use the word I'm going to misuse it here, but uh, lucky because we live in New York, New Jersey area. You know, I can go to New York City and hold my girlfriend's hand and, you know, just express all of my love for her in the middle of the street and it would be, you know, accepted. And here in New Jersey. It would be ignored. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> That's true. It would be ignored. Uh, and then you come to New Jersey and it's kind of iffy in certain areas. I'm in one of those communities, but, you know, we still live in an area in the country where, at least to myself, my team, we're like, this is crazy to think that there are states that actually didn't really do anything to prevent workplace discrimination. So being that we're talking about LGBT owned businesses, we're talking about the business community. I would just love to kind of end on, uh, you know, when it comes to some of the questions I have today, uh, just kind of get your opinion on that and what your thoughts are on that. If you don't mind, um, after that decision was made. Well, um, I can't say that I felt ever threatened on a personal level. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I was always a little cautious when I was running my business. Um, if I were getting ready to start my business and get certified now, I think for the most part, caution would be thrown to the wind. <laughs> you know, I would, I would be um, more assertive about the fact that I'm an NGLCC business. And um, some people are going to want to do business with you because of it, and some people are not. That's, that's going to be their choice. And, but my choice would be to um, be out there and proud and, um, and, and just try to do the best I can to grow my business as I see fit. I think um, with regard to the rulings that came down from the Supreme Court last week, um, clearly anything that goes our way is great, but 
and and it's and it's it's a great that it happened because there are people as as you mentioned Maggie there are people in certain areas that need the law to reflect something here in the northeast i've always worked in corporate america i've never worked for a small company i've always worked for large companies and and in new york city of all places so no one in new york city whether there was a law against it or not would or not against it would ever dare fire anyone because they were a member of the LGBT community. It just would not happen. Now, that being said, and while the Supreme Court came down on our side on this, that's wonderful. That being said, prejudice is a personal thing. It's a one-on-one -on -one decision to be, a, to be prejudiced, to be bigoted, to be homophobic, to be xenophobic, to be anti-Semitic, you know, to be misogynist. It's a personal decision to do that, right? And there are many ways that you can be discriminated against. Now, I'll relate something to you that was kind of embarrassing, but I don't care anymore because I'm too old to care. But at one point in my career, I was the operation, regional operations manager, director, overseeing 12 offices for a telecommunications company. And as a regional manager, director, I would get escalations coming to me for our large clients about somebody, we need someone at director level to jump on this. One day, one of these things came to me, and of course, I jumped on it, no issues at all and had the, the matter corrected in their data network. And I just so happened to be in visiting one of my offices that day and one of the sales managers said, could you come and help me with this, look at my computer and look at this, we had just installed new software for the salespeople and I knew it even though I was not on the sales side at that time, I was in the operations side. And I'm helping him walk, work through this. While we're staring at the computer, an email pops up and comes onto the screen and he and I are sitting there and it was from the sales manager in the office that had this client who needed me to address an escalation. And I guess these two managers had been talking about it and or, or letting each other know, hey, I got this big problem, you know, and in this email, because it popped up in front of my face while I'm sitting there with him and I wasn't reading anyone's emails, I never would, but my name was in it and it, my name caught my eye and the sentence said, Oh, we escalated this to Joe Renga. Let's hope he doesn't trip over his skirt. And I pretended like I didn't see anything. And the guy who was, who was sitting next to me, it was his computer. He like was frozen. His face was frozen and he was beat red. And I'm like, could you just bring that email down so we can get to this? I just blew it off. But that prejudice, while I would never have ever been fired from that company for any reason, also, I was good at my job, so that's always a good way to keep your job, to be good at it. But even though I could never be, would never be fired, still that prejudice exists on a one-to-one -one basis, and that's what we have to look out for, and that's what we have to fight. I think it's, it, it, on the most basic level, there are people out there who like to be mean. There are people out there who like to pick on other people. For us, you know, coming from a mental health standpoint, we know, you know, uh, hurt people hurt people. And even when it comes to jokes, you know, we, we deal with, on a totally separate note, you know, Reborn is focused on suicide prevention. We deal with trying to erase the joke of, oh, I just want to kill myself right now. You know, you hear so many young people who say that, and immediately we're alarmed by that. You know, that's not the language to use. These are not the jokes to say. And those jokes, they can affect other people tremendously, just like joking about somebody's sexuality, just like joking about other, other people in their life. And um, for anybody who's young who's listening to this podcast, which, you know, a lot of our audience uh, is 
uh, well, we, we really have actually two main audiences. We have the younger audience, which is between 18 and 24, and we have another audience, which are mostly parents um, or uh, older adults. And, you know, either way, no matter what generation you're in, being aware of the things that you're saying, being aware of how they can affect other people and being aware of how that then affects you in the long run is very important. And as a community, as an LGBT focused community, uh, you know, we need to be aware of that. And something I always say, especially to young people, especially in our organization, because they deal with their own, you know, uh, struggles and their own journey, is that being sensitive and easily offended by other people's jokes, by the things other people says, how is that going to help you progress forward? How is that really going to push you? Does it inspire you? No. Does it help you? No. Does it encourage you? No. So if that doesn't encourage you, if it doesn't inspire you, if, it doesn't, if it's not pushing you forward and making you better, then it's not something that you need to focus on. But it is something to be aware of. You know, it's something that if somebody says something mean, somebody does something, those jokes are made. Joe, I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. I'm sure that you've gone through other things as well, you know, in your journey. Those are the things to be aware of. And by talking, by having the conversations we're having today, it makes it easier to talk about that in our own communities. It makes it easier to really understand what affects people and what doesn't. And um, I, I just, I'm very glad that we had you both on today. Alrighty, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Maggie. episodes release every Friday morning to start your weekend right with Reborn Social and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating and review and tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter at Reborn underscore social, Instagram at Reborn.social for more content. And again, follow us on Facebook, uh, which is just Reborn. Alrighty, guys, we'll see you next week.